This is Truth Encounter, and as we open our Bibles to the fifth book, chapter 18, verses 14 and following, we come face to face with a deity who will leave no space for rivals. Listen as Dave Wurtzen begins our discussion with some powerful examples of how the ancient religions are recasting their image and selling big time in our contemporary society. The biographical details of his early life are sketchy. Born in 1911 or 1918 in India. Bachelor's degree in physics from Allahabad University, 1940. Pursuing the study of Hindu philosophy and meditation practices under the tutelage of the famous Indian spiritual guide, Guru Dev, and emerging three years after the death of his master to proclaim his version of the Hindu wisdom. Transcendental meditation was not faddish among the plethora of gurus in India. But when Maharishi Mahesh Yogi arrived in California in 1959, the counterculture movement of the 60s provided a hungry audience. The Rolling Stones, the Beatles, Shirley MacLaine, Mia Farrow, Bill Walton, and Joe Namath gave the TM movement high profile. And this McDonald's packaging of Hindu meditation techniques began to sell itself to the American people. Bring a white cloth, three fruits and six flowers. Remove your shoes and enter a candlelit, incense-filled room. Bow before a picture of Guru Death. Listen to a teacher chant the puja of Vedic hymn venerating the line of gurus from which the Maharishi descended, and then receive your own private individual mantra, wisdom in your ear from your guide. Meditate by repeating this secret word for 20 minutes a day, and you are on your way to experiencing the flow of energy in the universe, to losing yourself in a sense of oneness with nature. But is it the truth? She predicted the assassinations of John F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King, and Bobby Kennedy. The partition of India, the fall of China, the launching of the Sputnik, the Alaskan earthquake of 1964, the calling of the Second Vatican Council a year before it happened, and the deaths of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Gandhi, Marilyn Monroe, Churchill, Nehru, and Dag Hammarskjöld and Truman and Eisenhower and Nixon's election. She warned presidents and became an internationally known figure. One of her most famous predictions was the birth of the child of the East, a boy born on February 5, 1962, the day of the great Aquarian conjunction. At first, she saw him as a new messiah, revolutionizing the world's religions and governments. But then she changed her mind and said instead that he was the Antichrist, whose power would zenith in 1999. Is Gene Dixon a true prophet? Is it all the truth? As I began to talk to you the last time we met together from Deuteronomy chapter 18, where I want us to return today, the prophet Moses warned his people against the seduction of the Canaanite religions of his day, I want you to recognize that there's a direct line to the seduction coming against our own country in our own day. 
Even as I was speaking, the last time we met together, it, it sometimes some of you sit here and say, man, whoever worries about transcendental meditation, who worries about the influence of Eastern philosophy? Uh, one of our young people came up to me and when I finished, and she said, Dave, that sounded very familiar because in one of my classes this week, we've been studying the work of Thoreau and Emerson. And in one of my classes, my teacher, as we studied the works of Thoreau and Emerson in the early days in the United States, as we studied their literature, she was telling us about the, 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 the attempts to, for her to enter the great beyond. And she was talking to them about spending some time in meditation, trying to reach into that world that's beyond. Very interesting, because Emerson and Thoreau are two of the leading Americans in a philosophy called transcendentalism. And transcendentalism was one of the very first attacks against the new development of the United States from Eastern philosophy and Eastern religion. And so it brought to my own mind how sometimes we can think what we're talking about on Sunday morning has no relevance to what we're facing in our everyday life, and yet the Word of God again and again is speaking to us about things that we need to be very much aware of. I'm not saying that you shouldn't know what Thoreau wrote. I'm not saying that you shouldn't know what Emerson wrote. And some of the things they wrote are not Eastern philosophy, but the underpinnings of much of what they've said and the underpinnings of much of what's being brought into our own culture is from the occult and the world of God is everything. God is all things. And you get in touch with him by, by getting out of your consciousness, getting out of your own self and into the beyond. I went to eat lunch and was eating with some friends of ours. And one of my friends began to share with me how when he graduated from Moody Bible Institute, a very renowned Bible teaching school, went out to California to begin to learn how to act, got involved in an acting class, and the acting class tried to communicate the principle that you need to get out of yourself. You need to get beyond your consciousness because you really know how to do this. You know how to cry. You know how to laugh. You know how to express romance. You know how to express hate. And what you need to learn to do is get out of yourself and just let the true self, the true inner forces, the true inner power begin to work through you. And so in this class, like if somebody felt anger towards somebody, they just come unglued and they just start tearing things apart, throwing chairs and everybody would applaud. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was the Zen art of acting. My friend shared how it was very powerful and it truly did help you learn how to act. Because there's a great element of truth in the fact that, yes, we do know about those emotions. But underneath that class, the underpinning of that class, was the idea of a world consciousness, of a world experience. And getting in touch with this zen of acting was to get in touch with this great world experience and to get beyond yourself. You go to a ski slope. I asked our, our, one of our ski instructors at Taos, I was asking him, how do you ski in powder that's real, real deep? And he looked at me across the table and he said, you need to point those skis directly down the hill and just go with the mountain, feel the mountain, experience the mountain, become one with the mountain. And there you have Zen skiing. And I want to share something with you from the depths of my heart. There's a major difference between you and me and the mountain. Because my friend that instructed me about becoming one with the mountain took one of his friends that was visiting him from New Zealand down one of the paths and his friend became one with a tree. And they were not the same. 
the tree was not hurt at all. And my ski instructor's friend looked like he needed to go to the hospital for several weeks of recuperation. I just want to illustrate to you how this atmosphere of the East is surrounding us and it's overwhelming us and I want you to be very alert to it. The prophet Moses, if we look at Deuteronomy chapter 18, and let's begin there in the middle of the chapter. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 14, it says, the nations you will dispossess, that is the Canaanite nations that you're going to dispossess, you're going to be able to conquer their land and take it because I promised it to you, I promised it to Abraham. These nations that you are to dispossess, listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. And I want to say to every one of you, you're going to have to make a decision. As a child of God, there is the world of the occult. There's the world of sorcery. There's the world of magic. There's the world of Eastern mysticism. There's all of this tremendous commitment in the spiritual realm that has great power. We learned last week about the great power that it has. And then there's the world of the revelation of the Word of God. There's the world of Jesus Christ being the mediator. And you're going to have to decide. And Moses, this great founder of the Jewish people, the one that laid their whole constitution here in the book of Deuteronomy, is laying out to God's people down through the ages. And I believe that Moses comes to us today under the inspiration of Scripture. He says to you as a child of God, you must decide. You must decide. My friend shared with me as, as he was involved in an acting class, his whole life began to become unraveled. And he began to realize deep inside of his heart that something was drastically wrong. And that tremendous movement of the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit that dwelt in our heart, began to work in his heart and he realized he was able to go back to that class. And, and though they had never told him that it was a Zen Buddhist class in acting, the discernment of the Holy Spirit began to shake the core of his inner life, realizing, saying, this isn't what... Jesus Christ wants to do in my life. And he had to get out of that class. In fact, he got out of that whole situation because of the tremendous pull into evil and the tremendous power and the tremendous seduction that's involved in that movement. And that's what I want you to think about today. I want you to think about the influences that are impinging upon your life. And I want you to think about the decisions that you have made. I want to begin today as we think about the children of Israel being attacked by Canaanites I want us to talk about some of the attacks that are coming against us. I can't give you all the attacks, but I think I can give you enough that you can get a feel for the wiles of the enemy and the techniques that he uses. I want to talk to you, first of all, as we talk about the occultic seduction of modern America, about the invasion from the East, from Eastern religions, specifically with Hinduism. Hinduism has become a very much accepted. The ideas of Hinduism have become very much accepted within our culture. And that's why I started out today by talking about the Maharishi Yogi. Because through the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and several popular artists, Shirley MacLaine even did a, a very popular TV presentation of this whole idea of, of meditation and what it can do. It's become very much a part of our culture. I did some research on Hinduism this week and, and tried to, to think about some of its origins. And something that's very interesting that you need to realize is that in, in ancient Near Eastern studies, for example, when you study the culture of Babylon, there is a great creation myth. It's where Marduk overcomes the serpent monster named Tiamat. 
Tiamat is the force of chaos. He is the, he is the force of destruction. He is the force of, of everything becoming nothing. Marduk is the force of order. And Marduk in the great Babylonian epic of creation overcomes Tiamat. Notice there's no absolute beginning because matter and energy in the Babylonian mythology has always been here. But Marduk defeats Tiamat and out of part of his serpentine body he makes the heavens. Out of the other part of his body he makes the earth. And that's the way the Babylonians believe the earth came into existence. Man came into existence because the gods needed someone to help serve them meals and to be their slaves and all different kinds of ideas like that. Very different from in the beginning God created man in the image of God created him male and female. It's interesting that when you study the Hindus Valley in that birthplace of the Indian culture, as you study their mythology, it's exactly the same. The names change a little bit, but it's exactly the same as the mythology of ancient Babylon, which we would expect from the Word of God because the Bible talks to us about culture moving out from the flood and moving to the east and then continually moving farther out from the center of Mount Arafat. What you study also in the origins of the, of the Hindi philosophy, you have the same kind of thing that I taught you in the Baal worship Remember what I shared with you, that at the center of a Baal temple, and this is the reason why God called for the children of Israel to cut off the Canaanites. He gave them time to repent. He gave them time to turn away. But there came a time 400 years after Abraham preached to them that God had had it with their immoral, violent religion. Because I've shared with you that in the Canaanite religion, at the center of their temple, at the center of their temple, there was a naked idol that represented fertility. And there was a male phallic symbol, which in union with the, with the female idol, was the centerpiece of their religion. I talked to you about how they would engage in what we call sympathetic magic. They would have whole priesthoods that would involve immoral relationships. In other words, they worship the, 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 the terror of sexual immorality. And they would conduct, in Canaanite worship, they would conduct frenzied dances and they would drink alcoholic beverages till they were stoned out of their minds, and then they would engage in orgiistic activities. As I studied the, the history of the development of Hinduism, in the early days, that was very much a part. The same thing was true in the Hindu religions as well. In fact, as you start to go deep into Hinduism, you find that their belief in God is an undifferentiated mass. God is everything. The Hindus believe that God is in everything. It's called pantheism. In other words, God is in the trees, he's in the rocks, he's in the ocean, he's in you. It's called pantheism. All is God. What begins to happen when you begin to say that all is God, it means that there is no differentiation between evil and good because it's all God. It's all the same thing. So moral distinctions begin to be eliminated. In the Hindu thinking, the way that you get in touch with this all is that you need to have a moment of realization. There's different paths to, to move towards that moment of realization. But what blocks you from understanding this great liberating truth that all is God, that you're part of God, that there's no individual distinctions, it's your individual ego, your individual personality that blocks you from tapping into this great ultimate revelation. And so what you need to do is that there's various techniques for you to get out of your personality, to be able to not think, 
to be able to not be yourself, to be able to get beyond, and then this great ultimate energy, this great ultimate force will pulsate through your body and you will truly become one and you will not care whether you're alive or whether you're dead. You will not care whether you're male or whether you're female. You will not care because you will become one with the great beyond. A very powerful idea in Hindu thinking. In Hindu thinking, much of it was centered around the way that you had that experience was through asceticism, especially in the early days. And so you would have people that would withdraw from life completely. They would hurt their bodies just like the Canaanites did. They would engage in orgiastic sexual. What they would do is they would keep themselves from all sexual experience. No sex in marriage, no sex anywhere. And then they would have gigantic religious festivals and they would bring in dancing girls and they would dance naked and very, very seductively. And then they'd have all these orgiastic rites because they believed that you could demolish the human personality by doing this. And I want all the young people to listen carefully. Does it sound anything like? Does it sound anything like a Saturday night filled with powerful intoxicating beverages? pulsating rhythms that drive you out of your mind, loudness so that you can't think anymore, and then orgiastic rites, whether it's the Dionysian revelry of the ancient Greeks, whether it's the Canaanite pageant of the New Year festival of the worship of Baal and Ashtart, or whether it's the Hindus worshiping their gods, their multiplicity of gods, thousands of gods, Many of the gods pulsating back and forth between the male and the female energies of life. Whether it's in the Hindus Valley, or whether it's in the valleys of the, of the Promised Land, or whether it's in Olympia in Greece. It's all the same seduction from the serpent that appeared to us and to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. I want you to begin to see that there's common viewpoints. There's common insight. The teenage girl that, I, that came up to me and asked me about meditation, I said, well, what, were they, what was the idea of meditation? The idea of meditation was for me to be able to stop thinking, for me to be able to empty myself. And by emptying myself, by destroying myself, then I can tap into the great energies that are beyond myself. That is the lie of the evil one from the very beginning. You know why? Because he hates every one of your individual personalities. You know why he hates your individual personality? Because your individual personality, your ability to think, feel, and decide was built so that you could praise God, so that you could tell God that you love him, so that you could think about him, so you could feel about him, and so you could decide for him. And the true God of the universe is an ultimate person. The true God of the universe is three persons in one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And what he says is this. I can picture it like this. In, in Christianity, in the biblical faith that flows right out of Moses, we have a personal God. We have God the Father, we have God the Son, and we have God the Holy Spirit. And they have a relationship. They're, this is a oneness. They are one in essence. They are all divine. And they have a love relationship right between them. The ultimate being in all the universe is a being of social relationship and love and caring for one another, mutual giving to one another, perfect harmony with one another. This God of the universe reaches us through a mediator. 
And this mediator, according to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, says there's only one mediator. How many mediators are there? There's only one mediator between God and man. And what is his name? Jesus, okay? So there is one mediator, not many, not many, but only one mediator. And this mediator's name is Jesus Christ, okay? And he is Jewish, and he is the Messiah. And through this means, he reaches man. And what's man's problem? Man's problem is rebellion. Man's problem is sin. Man's problem is that he deserves the death penalty because evil is real. Evil is not just an imaginary thing. Evil is a terrible, rebellious treachery within the good kingdom of God that's brought disorder and chaos upon all mankind. And Jesus is the one, this Jewish Messiah, coming from God to be our mediator, to become the bridge between God and ourselves. Jesus Christ paid the just penalty for our sin. Now, all of you, that's all elementary. I mean, that's what you've been taught since you were a little kid. I want you to realize that in, that in Indian Eastern thinking, that's not at all what we're talking about. In Eastern thinking, we're talking about all is God. In philosophy, we call it monism. It means all is one. You've all heard that expression. All is one. All right? And this great ultimate energy or force, or ground of being will be the phrase that's sometimes used, the ground of being. This great ultimate being, many times in the thinking of the East, doesn't really impinge upon the world that we're living in. It's kind of an old Greek idea at times. And so what you do is you have many emanations. This ultimate energy, this ultimate force, reveals himself in emanations from himself, or masters. And these are coming from this ultimate force. He gives the, all these supernatural beings, all these different revealers of who this ultimate being is. And this is why in India you have all the gurus. The gurus often will say that they're part of a line where this great force has given them the enlightened insight. And the idea is, I want you to see that there's, one of the ideas here is secrecy. These masters will claim they have the secret thing. All through your life, all through your life, there are going to be different people that come to you and say, I have got the secret. I have got the answer. If you'll listen to me, you're going to be able to make a lot of money. You're going to be able to have perfect health. You're going to be able to have unbelievable success. You're going to be able to have ultimate sex. And on and on it goes. And they're going to be telling you, I've got the secret. Watch out. Watch out. Secrecy is a very important part of this. The inside knowledge. And all the Maharishi Yogi did is he took techniques that have been part of Indian philosophy for generations now and he packaged them like McDonald's packages hamburgers for you as American consumers. Because the essence of this idea was for you to be taught how to empty yourself of your personality because by destroying individual personalities... If we can destroy individuality, if we can knock that out, then it opens the door to be able to get into the all is God. Now, I want to ask you a question. If I destroy your personality, what have you become? Nothing. You know who wants you to become nothing? Satan does. The evil one. That's why he came into the garden. One of the things that you need to realize about the revealed word of God is the ultimate serpent hates every one of you. 
The ultimate serpent will come to you and he always promises you, I want to give you life. I'm going to give you super energy. I'm going to give you super success. I'm going to give you super this and super this. But he's always taking you down a pathway that will demolish your personality. You see, if you get involved in an orgiastic Saturday night bash and you have no idea who you had sex with, you have demolished your personality. You fracture your personality just like breaking a beautiful vase. It's just the opposite from walking the aisle right here in a white dress where you as a woman, thinking, feeling, and deciding, make a promise. And you make your promise to an individual that you know, to a man that had the courage to go to your dad and look at your dad as another man and say, I'd like to marry your daughter and all the fear and trembling that goes with that. There's no blending and amalgamating and, and wishy-washiness of personality. For a man to go to a dad and look at a dad and say, I'd like the hand of your daughter, takes a person. It takes someone that's strong, that can make a decision with his will. And then you enter into a promise. Individuals make promises. God makes promises. You make promises. And then you make love and marriage. And instead of destroying personalities, personalities are enhanced. It's totally the opposite. Satan always promises us the new enhanced experience. He always delivers death in the end. Jesus Christ still comes to us with the rugged cross and the empty tomb. He is the only one who can bring you into eternal life. I pray that you have decided to trust this Jesus, God's Son, and not the latest futurist or TM star. Dave will continue this discussion on our next broadcast, so please encourage a friend to listen too.